millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to the American noir writer Chris Whitaker. His new book is We Begin at the End. It's a thriller, a crime thriller, capturing bleak, forgotten America. Uh, we chat about how he brought to life such an evocative period and, and place using just words on the page. Also, we talk about how winning the New Blood Dagger Award has affected the way that he tells his stories. And you can hear why, really, his editor does all the hard work. I think I need to, I need to finish that first draft. And normally, things improve when I get a first edit. I mean, the agony is in the edit, but I need my editor to kind of point me in the right direction. Otherwise, I could write, you know, 150,000 words to tell a story that only needs to be 100,000 words. And I, I just need someone to have a quick look at it and point me in the right direction. And then I'm OK. And then I can kind of see what 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 the route I need to take. It's all on the way with Chris Whitaker in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along. My name's Dan. Thank you so much for finding us. This is Writer's Routine. It's the show where we take an inside look uh, into the day of some of the best authors around. We find out how they plan, how they plot, and fingers crossed, how they publish. Uh, You can star in this part of the show, by the way. You can get this whole bit dedicated just to you and your book. Uh, If you've written something that you want to shout out for and a little bit of a plug for, uh, you can do that. You can sponsor the show. Let me do it for you. Sponsor us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine and hopefully we can get you a few more clicks. Uh, did you enjoy the uh, the little bonus roundtable episode thingy that we tried out uh, at the start of the week, by the way? Yeah, really pleased actually with the amount of nice things that you've been sending in to me uh, all about that. I-, I thought it would work. Uh, having authors chat between themselves uh, about how they get ideas and how they write. I hope you thought that it worked too. I thought we pulled it off. I I thought they were all brilliant. Um, If you've not listened to it, uh, just skim back however you're finding this. It it was a nice little start of the week treat, I think. Hopefully we're going to do a few more of those in the future. If you're an author and you want to feature in one of our roundtables, hit me up, send a message to me over at writersroutine.com. Uh, in this episode, we've got a normal dive into a into a routine as we regularly do for you. It's Chris Whitaker. His debut was Tall Oaks, published back in 2016. Uh, it won the Guardian Crime Book of the Month, lauded as one of the best crime books of the whole year, and it won the New Blood Dagger Award as well. Since then, he's published All the Wicked Girls, and his new one is We Begin at the End. It's all about Vincent King, who returns home to California 
after serving time for killing. He's a convicted murderer. And it's about Duchess Radley, whose aunt is the person who Vincent killed and how she's out for revenge. It's American noir. Now, as soon as I say those words, they're evocative, aren't they? So we'll see how he manages to do that imagination and and that, that place justice with words on a page. We also talk about how his career in trading has given him the tools to help his career in writing. Um, Now, just before we get into it, a little warning. This was recorded right at the start of lockdown, where I don't think the internet could cope with as many people there was in this house uh, trying to stream and chat and Zoom all at the same time. So the sound is just a little bit glitchy. I think we both had some broadband problems. Uh, I'll be honest, it's a little bit annoying, but push through with it, please. Carry on. Chris has got some fantastic tips for your writing. It's a brilliant book. It it deserves to be heard about. It's called We Begin at the End and we're hearing about it right now, diving into it as always with what Chris sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Okay, I can see out the window next to me and I can see the road that I live on and a giant pink house that's right across the the road from us. So, um, so whereabouts in your house are you writing? I So we've bought a bungalow um, with my mother-in-law which seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> it needs a massive amount of work. So we were, we were about to put four bedrooms and two bathrooms upstairs. So the roof was due to come off this week because it's not big enough. Um, but obviously with everything going on in the world, that's going to be delayed. And my wife is pregnant. Um, so originally the building work was due to finish about a week before she's due to give birth, which um, it's not going to happen. So we're going to end up with a baby on a building site which sounds like a sitcom. So you're in so you're in your your own study I would imagine. What what have you got around yeah. you? so aside So strangely we're all in um we're all in one giant room at the moment. There's um on the side of the bungalow they built a giant extension which we've partitioned to make a bedroom for me and my wife, a bedroom for the children and an office for me at the front of the house. Um but but the only thing partitioning it is the giant IKEA unit which is full of toys. So my kids are constantly in and out trying to get their toys out of my office wall, which is difficult. So in your little partition, yep. what have you got to make it more creative and inspirational for you? How do you know when you set foot through the IKEA partition that, right, I am here to work now? Have you got anything that, that draws the story out of you? Um, not enough, actually. I ordinarily I would, and I plan to when I have an office. But I've just got I've got three screens in front of me, three big screens, because um, I still make the bulk of my money in the stock market, and I need three screens to be able to do that. Um, there's a bookshelf next to me with some of my favourite books on it, and that's all I've got at the moment. It's very sparse. Give us a little sneak peek. What are the uh, what what are the the, the favourite books that are on the shelf? They're mostly my books, which. <laughs> which sounds really terrible doesn't it but um so i've got the new book coming out and they've sent me a ton of books and um i have loads of copies to sign and give out um but amongst them there's a book called dodgers by bill beverly which is one of my favorite books of the last decade and um and then i have a selection of books by john hart dennis lahane and also a ton of books that i get sent to quote on so at the moment i'm reading the new book by rod reynolds which is brilliant and um that's on the desk next to me if I were to walk into your partition, would I have any clues as to, as to what you are writing? Is, are there, I mean, as you say, there's sparse 
things in there to inspire you, but uh, post-it notes, uh, plot notes, maybe little nothing. (laughs) Amazingly, nothing. Everything I do because I have three screens, it gives me quite a lot of area to play with. So I'll generally on the center screen will be the screen that I'm writing on, and then either side of that I will bring up, say, pictures of um, the town I might be writing about or a town that's similar. And then on the other side, I'll have pages of notes, all on Word documents. You mentioned uh, playing the stocks. Now, I've spoken to, which is quite radically different from, you know, writing American noir crime stories. Mm -hmm. I've spoken to authors before who think uh, lawyers tend to make quite good storytellers because what they do um is so by the book for want of a better phrase it's it's by the book so they have all this creative energy which they then release uh into the stories that they write do you think that's a similar thing for 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 stockbrokers maybe for you just i'm I'm trying to work out the connection between you playing the stocks online and writing a story these things are quite radically different they are they are massively different so yeah, I think there is there is something like that because I don't get to be creative at all because if you're creative and you're a stockbroker, you end up in prison. So I, d- I don't get to be creative. So it definitely comes out that way. But you're, um, you're right about lawyers. There seems to be quite a lot, doesn't there? There seems to be like John Grisham, John Hart, um, Steve Kavanagh. I'm not even sure if he is a lawyer, actually. He certainly like, writes legal thrillers i think tony kent is as well god yeah there's loads now i think of it and and yeah that's what they say whereas i've spoken to many tv producers who are also writers artists who are also writers and they find there's that they almost don't have the creative energy left when they return from work to to sit there for another couple of hours and bash out a few thousand words yeah no it's definitely it's something i look forward to so there's the stock market very much is just to pay the bills. You know, I don't particularly enjoy it. It's very stressful. Um, writing is what I love, you know, and I'd love to be a full-time writer one day. Okay, so I get up fairly early, probably about half six. Um, my kids are normally up quite early, so I don't have a choice, but I've never been a very good sleeper. So I get up early and then I check the news to see what's happened over the night, overnight in the business world, and then I'll sit down at my desk and... Um, the stock market opens at 7.50 and I will normally trade for an hour until about nine-ish. And then I go to the gym because that keeps me sane. Although I say the gym, but I always end up at the spa, strange, because like, my um, my gym's at a hotel and they have a really good steam room, jacuzzi, swimming pool. So I tell my wife I'm going to exercise, but I come back all refreshed. And, um, and then I sit down to write and that's normally around 11 half 11 and i will write until kind of solidly until about three o'clock then i'll go and pick up normally i go for a walk to pick up the kids and then i will come back dinner and then write again until the into the evening you know i i just don't seem to be that productive so i can spend a long long time writing a single paragraph i'm talking about a week maybe so just to i kind of become obsessive in with every sentence that I write, I need it to be perfect. And I don't even know what perfect looks like. I just, um, I keep working it and reworking it. And so what should, say say a book should take me around a year to write, ends up taking me three years. Well, let's unpack that a bit further then. So in an ideal situation, if you are writing from, say, half 11 till three, that's a strong three and a half hours. Uh, I know that you say 
it, it, it can take you a long time just to, to write a paragraph. What, what, would you, mm-hmm. what would you like to get done in that time? I've played around with word counts, you know, and giving yourself targets each day, which I'm trying to do at the moment. So at the moment, I'm editing a young adult book that I need to deliver on May the 18th. So I've worked out if I do a chapter a day, which is around 2000 words, I will deliver on time. Um, but even that is a tall order. I mean, when I wrote my debut, Tall Oaks, my wife was due to give birth in about a month. And this was our second child. So I knew from past experience that if you, um, once the baby comes, you, you don't get anything done. So I had a month to write the first draft. I had this really strong idea for this book, Tall Oaks, my debut. And um, I had this strong idea for it. And I thought I need to get a first draft written down. So I wrote 5,000 words a day for a month. And um, and I finished, I think it was the last sentence, about two hours before she went into labour. <laughs> but I would never do that again. I, for me, it doesn't work, you know, to write that quickly. Because although I had, you know, 90,000 words or whatever in a first draft, it was almost unreadable. You know, it was so it took uh, probably a year and a half to edit it after that. So We often I mean, talk worked, on the show yeah. about... Uh, the, the difference, as you said, between between the vomit draft, that initial first draft, when you're just getting any words out. Um, mm-hmm. And some people love that. Some people are like you. Where they, they, they do want the, the, the word that they are typing to be perfect. Um, wh- when you're cracking out 5,000 words a day and now you're not, um, how much thought are you now giving to... I know you said you want the words to be perfect. How much thought are you now giving to it and do you ever let yourself tap back into that that speed and that thought that helps you write 5,000 words a day um I do sometimes I give probably too much thought to a first draft um I mean I'll they say that you shouldn't write the first chapter first because there's so much you know you put so much pressure on pulling the reader in with the first sentence things like that you never get anywhere but I tend to start at the very beginning and um and it can be exhausting I think if I need to remember that every time I've written a book, um, the kind of, the final draft is a different book to the book that I deliver. The first draft, it's unrecognisable. And um, I think I forget that every time I write a book. It's, um, it's, it's an easy thing to forget. You know, you, you strive for perfection, but you don't even really know what it looks like on the first draft. You're just trying to get the story done. I mean, I don't know the characters I'm writing very well in a first draft, but by the final draft, you know, they'll, they'll feel like members of my family. I'm going to ask you to be quite self-analytical if that's OK. I know we're here mm-hmm. to sell books and to sell you as an author, but I'm just curious as to what you find yourself picking up on when you are editing. When you are looking back and you're reading your first draft, what are the things that you, you find yourself doing which you would like to train yourself out of? Um, I, I tend to want to change absolutely everything. I think it drives my, my editor, it drives my editor mad. So I say I, I've written a joke into the book or a part that's supposed or a scene that's supposed to be funny. Um, I will read it so many times that obviously it's no longer funny and then I'll feel the need to change it. And, um, I forget that readers will be reading it, you know, for the first time. And, um, I wish I could stop doing that. I, I'm so, so critical. I find it so when I finish the book, it can sometimes be a year before it hits the shelves. And um, and then I'll have to go and do, um, you know, book events, things like that. And I, I generally try and reread the book if I'm going to do a book event, just so that it's fresh in my mind, because I'll often be writing something else. And, um, and I find that difficult, because again, I want to change everything. I want to change every single word in the book, which makes it really difficult. How, how good are you at switching off? 
at the end of the day. So when you've had your second writing session in the evening after a spot of dinner, uh, how much does the story stay with you through the night? Oh, I'm terrible. I cannot switch off. I, if I'm writing a first draft, or actually at any time, I've never been a good sleeper, but particularly when I'm writing, I will just lie awake thinking about it sometimes all night you know I'll get a few hours sleep and I'll feel dreadful the next day or I'll fall asleep and then I'll wake up in the night and and think of a a plot point that could be better and then I'll start making notes on my phone um yeah that's definitely something I could do with working on because I think it drives you a bit crazy I want to be better at it what I'm wondering is because now this is so this is your third novel the first one as you say was written incredibly hectically um Mm -hmm. And now you do give yourself a bit more time to try and find that perfection. Have you got any self-imposed deadlines? How do you know when things should be done if you're not really playing to a word count anymore? Um, So I'll have... I don't like to miss deadlines that I get from my editor. I rarely ask for an extension or anything like that. I feel like, you know, I'm going to mess people around and I don't want to mess them around and I mess with their schedules. Um, So normally I will spend months kind of just agonizing over the first few chapters and then I'll have a mad rush where I'll need to I'll set myself a ridiculous target of thousands of words a day just so that I have a first draft and then I'll, I'll probably have a few weeks at the end of that to um to get it into some kind of shape so it's actually readable but yeah I do come back to a word count I think I need it but I, maybe not necessarily a word count so I'll work out how many chapters there are and how many I need to do a day or say half a chapter a day and where exactly where that will get me to and then I won't allow myself to deviate from it you know it's kind of set in stone I will do this no matter what's going on in my life um even if the day job's really busy or the kids need something or I will stay up you know until the early hours because I just I have to hit that target there's no slacking how much do you if you're writing by targets then if you need to know what's coming where how much do you know about what you are sitting down to write on the morning that you do uh, sit fingers to a keyboard so on a first draft almost nothing i will um i'll have a rough idea for a story and i'll know roughly i I always know how it will end um and normally how it will begin but say that the ninety thousand words in between those two points it's very organic you know it will it will take turns and i think that's that's probably why it's so difficult. I have friends that plan, you know, they're very much planners and they'll know exactly what scenes are going in what order. And, and um, I just can't work like that. I have tried it before, but I just, again, I veer off and end up with something wildly different to the original plan. I don't know um, if it's just the way I am. I think everyone finds, you know, a style that works for them. And um, planning just doesn't seem to work very well for me, sadly. And I and I do mean sadly because I think I think I could do with it. You know, I think I could do with a regimented kind of plan. And if I could stick to it, I I might have an easier time when I come to write it. I think I need to I need to finish that first draft. And normally things improve when I get a first edit. I mean, the agony is in the edit, but I need my editor to kind of point me in the right direction. Otherwise, I could write, you know, 150,000 words to tell a story that only needs to be 100,000 words. And I, I just need someone to have a quick look at it and point me in the right direction. And then I'm OK. And then I can kind of see what what, what the route I need to take, you know, to get a second draft finished. But I'm very much reliant on my editor. You know, my editors, they earn their money with me. Are you happy with that? Are you are you happy at, at overwriting? I only ask that for you because 
because you're a trader, I just imagine that, mm-hmm. and because you do cram so much in your day, you know, you know what time you're waking up, you know when you're going to go to the gym slash bar. Yeah. It, it's, it's, my image of, of your day is quite efficient. So the idea of you overwriting seems to be in contrast to that. Yeah, I'm trying to get better. I also work part-time in the library as well. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's, um, yeah, I find time for that as well because I find sitting at my desk sometimes drives me a bit crazy because I don't talk to anyone. Um, but fitting it all in is difficult. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really difficult. What was the question again? I think I've gone off on a, tan- on a tangent. No, that's fine. We had a nice chat about the library. I was wondering, um, yeah, would you like I to... I love be- the library. <laughs> Do you want to be more efficient with the way that you write? Or are you happy to... I spoke to another author recently, uh, Lucy yeah. Foley, who, who said... Yes, she, I know Lucy. Yeah, she, lo- she said that she loves overwriting. She loves the process of getting it out there and discovering who the characters are and then reining it in. Whereas you're saying that you find the edit such a chore. Would you like to be more efficient with your words? Um, I think, again, I think I, I would like to, but I don't think I'd be able to write the kind of stories that I write if I did that. Because I think I'm like Lucy and I need to, to get to know them. And that happens over a long time, over a lot of words. Um, really I should be writing less than I need because I tend to add a fair amount in the edit and then I end up wildly over. But um, I'm okay with cutting. I know some authors can find it really difficult because, you know, it's, it's the, the hard work that you've put in and then you're, you're kind of taking scissors to it and cutting it all away and ruining it. But um, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the way with the way it happens. I just don't, I don't believe there's a better way for me to do it. Maybe I'll become more efficient when I get to book 10 or something. I'd like to think so. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of time. (laughs) But um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't think so. Lastly, on your writing day, have you any tricks or tips that you use, that you've learned along the way that just helps the words come out when it looks like the end is is never in sight, something that's quite particular to you? Um, I, I think it was my agent that, that said to me once, you know, if you're not enjoying it, you're doing something wrong. And um, I try and, and focus on that. You know, I try and enjoy it and I try and see it not as a chore. So if I'm, if I'm having a really difficult time writing, I might just skip ahead and write a scene that I'm, I know is coming that I'm looking forward to writing. You know, for whatever reason, I might be writing a really dark crime book, but there might be some humor, well, there will be some humor in it. And I might skip ahead and write that scene and then come back if I'm not in the mood. You know, I think you just need to be fluid with it because you can cobble it all together later. But as long as you're enjoying it, I think I, I do think that reflects in in the work. Now, you're writing American Noir and, and the new book is um, is set in California. Uh, how are you managing it? Because when people mention, you know, open prairies and, and bleak forgotten America, um, yep. it almost seems that it's only right for, for an American to tell that story. You know, I, I wouldn't be very good, I don't think, it evoking authentically that image. How are you managing to do it clearly so successfully to, to, to paint a picture of real forgotten America? I think um, I think research. I do a lot of research. I read a lot of books, you know, especially American crime books. Um, obviously, you can't escape it on the television shows like True Detective. I absolutely loved. You know, they they do a good job of it. But I think first and foremost, I get the characters right, and then the rest comes. You know, you can 
you can do your research, especially with the internet. You, know, you can. I remember with the second book set in Alabama, and I had I really struggled with the dialect, and I wanted to get it right. And um, I found a website where you could just listen to people talk, which sounds like the most boring website in the world. But you could choose, say, a town in Alabama or a town anywhere in the world, and you could listen to people reading transcripts and just kind of pick up the the pattern of their speech which really helped and it's just I think it's just about spending the time and that's probably why it takes so long because there's no real shortcut you know you you need to put the effort in you need to grind it out you there is no substitute for hard work and um and that's what I do I, I think I just put a lot a lot into the research this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Now, we'll get more from Chris Whitaker in just a sec. Uh, before we do, quickly, just a little reminder that you can always support us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Get on there. There are loads of ways that you can get involved and you can help the show out. Uh, like if you've published a book recently and the fanfare around it has been slightly dampened due to lockdown. But let me hopefully get you a few more clicks online. You can sponsor the show. Most podcasts are sponsored by Squarespace, internet providers, or headphones, or mattress companies. Uh, On this show, uh, I kind of want to make it all about the writing community, so I'd like you to sponsor the show if you fancy it. You can have the whole thing dedicated to your book. I will plug it. I'll give a shout out to it, a huge shout out to it. Hopefully we can get you a few more clicks online and sell a couple more copies. To get that done, sponsor us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Also, while you're on there, you can get a few bits of merch and you can say thanks to us for over 100 chats with different authors that we've bought you. Just a dollar or so a month really helps us bring you as many episodes as we can with the best writers that we can find as often as we can do it. If you've learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you tell your stories, if you've got some writing tips, if it's really made you think about things, uh, please do support us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, that's the begging over. Let's get back to it then, shall we? With more from Chris Whitaker talking about his new book, We Begin at the End. 
In this half, we talk about the characters and how much time he dedicates to making them all authentic and bringing them to life. We also talk about how he makes a plot out of an initial idea for a character. How does he expand on that first glimmer in his head? Uh, And we pick things up talking about the actual words on the page and the detail that he puts into each line. How much thought does he give to all of that? Oh, so much thought goes into it. I don't, I like to know what tree, so you can say, you can describe a tree, but I like to know the, you know, the type of tree, even though whoever's reading it might not or might not care, but you might find someone that does or can picture that tree clearly. And it needs to be authentic and it needs to be the type of tree that would grow in Montana or California. And I need to know when it's flowering and if it flowers at the time when the book is set or what it would look, what the branches would look like. And it's that kind of detail that, you know, you don't get bogged down in it as a reader, but when you're writing it, you know, it's really important that it's authentic and it feels right to me. And um, I just, I I like to be able to see every sentence and every paragraph. And um, it's really important. And that's that's why I I think I spent so long on it, on getting it right. How prosaic and and lyrical are you allowing yourself to be? Quite a lot of, of, of crime writers and noir writers, they want every single word... Uh, to mm-hmm. be useful, to to not be just just there for the sake of adding a little florid description. What what do you think about that and how you write? Oh, I like to get to get lyrical in my books. I really do. I like. Um, I think my stories are character driven, you know, and and I think that you know, give me beautiful writing, give me a good plot and characters I care about, and um, and then I've got my perfect book, and that's why I try and write because that's why I like to read. Um, whereas if you are writing, you know, a pacey thriller, you know, something like a holiday read or something James Patterson like, then I think you have to be more careful. I don't think you can go into the level of detail without sacrificing some of the pace, but it's just, um, depends on the type of book you want to read and the type of book you want to write. You know, I, to me, it's very important, you know, to paint the picture and to know exactly how people are feeling because I mean I find the crimes interesting the event is interesting to a point but how it affects people and how they deal with it afterwards is far more interesting to me you know and that's the the type of book I want to to write I want my stories to have heart and I want people to care about the characters and I think um, that comes by by painting the pictures. I think we'll we'll come back to how you make people readers care about your characters in just a sec but let's let's touch on the new book then it's called we begin at the end um talk to me about the very first moment chris that the idea for this story popped into your head okay so i was having dinner with my editor um quite a few years ago about three years ago and i had this idea for a revenge story it was going to be about a 13 year old girl and i had a really strong visual image of her she's this kind of small girl and she's got a gun and she's wearing a stetson and um and revenge is is quite a powerful you know notion and motive and and um, idea to hang a story on so i I pitched this story you know it's going to be about this girl she's going to be out for revenge you know to someone that she thinks has wronged her family and um, i was going to write it in a year and it was going to be you know i wasn't going to drive myself mad and then it just evolved into this kind of massive, sweeping, epic, coming-of-age crime story that follows a, this girl over a year of her life and kind of looks into to every aspect of, of what she's going through and, and her life in general. Um, 
Yeah, so it, it's been three years. It was three years ago. I can remember it clearly. How did it develop into that, though? You've got that this initial idea about the girl that, that's out for revenge. How does the rest fall into place around it? I know that you don't know much at all about your first draft, but where mm-hmm. when you've got a, an authentic, believable character, how does the plot build around that? Well, I kind of I knew where she was going. You know, I knew how the story would end. But um, as I was writing, I thought it, it's, it's becoming stronger. You know, this is a really strong character. I'm writing Duchess, the girl's name is. And I thought this is, you know, this is the best book I've ever written. This is the best character I've ever written. Let's do something big. You know, let's let's go for it with this book. So it's, it's going to follow her instead of, you know, this straightforward quest for revenge, you know, spanning, you know, a month or whatever. Let's follow her over a year and see how it affects her and affects the people around her, like her little brother Robin. And um, it was ambitious. I mean, I it didn't start out as a big book, but it's definitely ended up as a big book. How did you know where to start? Well, when you've got the idea for this character, how do you know what the first thing that you're going to write is? Um, so I knew that the, the story... So the story follows... Um, this girl duchess and and there's a a convicted killer that returns to the small California town she lives in and his name is Vincent and then we start with the act so we go back 30 years and the book begins with I mean it's called We Begin at the End and it kind of it is the end of the line for a lot of the characters affected by by this event so I knew I was going to start with the event itself you know and give give some colour to it you know just a couple of pages and um, and that's how I knew it would begin and then and then I knew we'd skip forward 30 years to his release, this character, and Duchess herself, and, and kind of give a bit of background about her and where she is and what her life is like, you know, when this man is released and and how it's going to change her life. And that, then what happens next? So you, you've written the start, you made the decision to set it over a year. I mean, this might be the most horrendously naive question to to someone who passes their way through the the, the first draft. But but what does happen mm-hmm. next for you? So next, I I kind of I know the characters. I know there's going to be a policeman, you know, investigating the case develops. Um, but it's very organic. You know, I know I knew I did know that I was going to split the the story into four parts. And kind of, and each part would focus on a different, you know, part of the girl's life or part of the story that she's going through. And, um, and yeah, so I just begin kind of grinding it out from there, grinding out the story, each paragraph, each sentence, you know, I, I just, I write too much, you know, as we said before, so I'll just start writing and I'll build up a a picture of the girl and I'll write a lot of scenes with her in it with Duchess with this particular character and still I, until I start to feel like I know how she'll react in any given situation and then I'll start stripping it back and putting it into some kind of order they get as much time pretty much as Duchess which is why it takes so long to write the book um they are you know they're not extras in my story they are the stars of their own stories you know and um and they need to feel authentic and they need to feel right and they need to again it's about writing you know writing more and more and more over and over a lot of scenes with smaller characters that get cut you know help to shape the character themselves so there will be a lot that doesn't make it into the final draft but but I will know from having written all those scenes, you know, again, how they will react in any given situation and how they should feel and how they should speak and react. 
how do you know when you are drawing towards the end? Guess it's a feeling. You know, I, I tend to ignore the word count so that I will know the journey. Like we talked about the roadmaps before, I'll know, you know, where I want them to be, where I want my characters to be when I'm heading towards the finale. And, um, yeah, I'll just know. And I will also have half an eye on, you know, when, when it's due and I need to get a move on. And But no, because I, I start out knowing how the story will end. You know, I know how I need to get there by that point, say, so if it takes me a year to write a first draft, I'd say 10 months in, I'm, I'm heading towards that, or I should be. You spoke about holiday reads earlier and the type of stories that those yep. are, that those particular thrillers are. Um, in your genre, which is kind mm-hmm. of an odd genre to define, uh, and, and you've got this sweeping tale that's, that's so yep. character-led to tell, how much are you thinking about the standard beats and tropes and ideas of the form that you are working with? Um, I don't really, to be honest. I just try and tell the best story I can tell and then let sales and marketing worry about the rest. I um, I just, I need to write, you know, the kind of story that I want to read and I would want to read my book and it could, without a doubt, be a holiday read. Um, I just... I just don't give it any thought. I don't let anything dictate, you know, the story or get in the way of it. I need to, to tell my story and, and, and I won't sacrifice anything, you know, to make it shorter or to, to add to it. I won't, there'll be no wastage. There'll be no unnecessary scenes or anything like that. Now you won the, um, you won the new blood dagger, right? For your debut. I did. Uh, I did. Best day of my life. How did that? <laughs> with, with 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 many children, by the way. That's, that's... Yeah, I know. I know. My wife won't listen to this, so <laughs> I'll make sure she doesn't. Well, listen. I've often wondered what does winning a prize like that for a debut? What does it do to you? Does it give you an enormous amount of confidence in in the fact that you are clearly telling stories to a high standard, or for your second work? Mm-hmm. Is it like having a best-selling album and then and then trying to trying to follow up on that? I think a bit of both, maybe. It definitely gave me some confidence. I mean, Tall Oaks didn't. It wasn't a bestseller. You know, it didn't sell massively. But I was up against bestsellers in that category. So to be recognised, or just, I think just to have people enjoy it, even you know whether it's a reader on the street, someone on Goodreads, or the judge of an award, you know, just to know that they've enjoyed your story gives you the confidence to go and write another story. Um, as for going forward, I mean, not a lot of people win prizes because there's not a lot of prizes out there. So it's, it, I don't necessarily feel the pressure. I just, I, every time I write a book, I want to, to be better. You know, I want to be a better writer, tell a better story. And, um, and I think it takes practice, you know, writing. I think it takes a, a hell of a lot of practice. Like anything, if you want to be good at it, you have to put the work in. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much for listening, finding us, downloading us, telling everyone about us. Uh, Chris Whitaker's book, We Begin at the End, is out right now. You can find out more about it over at writersroutine.com. And seriously, thank you so much for pushing on. If you're still with us, for pushing on through the slightly glitchy audio. Uh, a little bit annoying. Hey-ho, these things happen, don't they? Uh, next week, we'll chat to Peter James, crime writing supremo, all about his new Roy Grace novel, Find Them Dead. Uh, in the meantime, you can always show us support over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Get your new book to sponsor this show. Find out more on the Patreon. Uh, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Twitter. We are at writer's pod there too. 
And I will see you next week with Peter James on Writer's Routine. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.